This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clink. And I'm Lisa Traeger. And we're here talking SVU, the true crimes they're based on. And we are union strong with SAG and WGA. <laughs> they are our no guests. And hopefully oh, that'll change soon. Guess what? I went what? to Picket last week. I went to Picket with this with SAG and WGA at Disney. And I ran into Robert Brooks Cohen, former the guest of out. the pod. Yeah, he lives in LA now, full time. And we chatted for a minute and I was like, so happy to see him. For those who don't know, he uh, was a writer on SVU and he was a great guest. So if you want to go back in time and check that one out. We'll definitely have him on again one day post-strike. I feel like he has a lot of tea that he has yet to spill. But um, yeah, and he kind of went viral because he made this like, he made this like letterboard that said like in the, like in the television industry, writers are considered especially important or whatever. It was like this whole thing he did that was based on the SVU thing and it like went viral. Like all these people were posting it and Warren Light posted a picture of him with it too and stuff. So, because I know he was picketing in New York also, but I think he's LA now, which is exciting. I told him we'll see him at our next LA show. And we're um, coast to coast. Right now, Kara's in LA. I am yes. in New York having yes. the time of my life. I, you know, everyone leaves New York in August And I came for Labor Day. You know, everyone leaves for Labor Day. They're in the Hamptons. I had the best time of my fucking life. Like, New York has so many different... Like, you think of the concrete jungle. Okay, see, that wasn't even on the rhythm. You don't have to edit that. Uh, That was not copyrighted. And I said, copyrighted. Uh, Things are going wild over here. But, for you know, I went to Red Hook, which is a cool neighborhood on the water. And then the next day I went to a hotel pool. And then the next day I took an hour-something ferry to the beach, to the Rockways. 
So it's like what you think New York is, there's just so much ocean and water and fun and food. When I lived there, I like never went to the beach. I mean, I think I went to Coney Island once, but I just like rode rides. I didn't really go in the water. Like, so it's... You know what's fucked up? I've been to the beach more in New York than I have in LA. Oh, I mean, I never go to the beach in LA. It's too much of a process. I should. My goal is I got to go one more time. It really... But that's the thing. The hotel pool, so nice because like it's the... It's the... It's the getting to the beach, the walk back, you know, that's the classic walk back. That's like you're sandy, you're sweaty, it's done. You have to put everything back, you know, it's it's really hard. It's hard. Yeah, I hate being sandy, but I do like the beach. Well, I would go with you during a weekday. I just don't want to fuck with the weekends and taking my kids and stuff. Like Oscar still naps, like I'm not doing all that. They were not invited. They, I, I want yes. that to be very no, clear. No, that's what I'm Kara. saying. I was, <laughs> I'm just saying in general with me going to the beach, I, everyone's always like, bring your kids to the beach. I'm like, not right now. Not until the naps are done, I think. I don't want to do it. It sounds so annoying to have your kids be all sandy. Well, the Ugh. best part was on the ferry back, um, me and the girls were sitting, not on the seats, but on like the white containers that hold the safety jackets, like the life uh-huh. jackets. So we're sitting... Because we want to look. We want to look at the ocean. Um, a, a group of very religious Jewish women stand in front of us. <laughs> Teens and then this other woman. And the woman goes, oh, did we block your view? But it's like, what? <laughs> it's fine. You know, you got to stand. <laughs> if you want to stand, we're going to we're gonna ruin the teens' view. No. But then the woman's skirt kept flowing up with the wind and she kept mooning us with her full lavender underwear. And to see a modest religious woman's butt <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> what a day. So hey, funny. you know what? Only in New York. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah. Oh my God, my parents just landed in Israel this morning. No. Yeah. They're I didn't in even Israel. know they were going. Yeah, my mom is like, oh, we have a room overlooking the Mediterranean. I Just what I need. I was like, yeah, mom, go have at it. But like, yeah. They, my dad has this like cousin who's like a Holocaust survivor and lives there and is like 98. And I think they just wanted to go see her one more time. So wow. they're seeing her. And hopefully yeah. they'll get a dip into the Mediterranean. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Um, You're but, not watching Below Deck Sailing yet, are you? I mean, no, down I'm under, down keeping, under. I'm just keeping track of all the near miss sexual assaults that are happening. But I'm not, I'm not watching. Um, I watch, well, what about Roni? Okay, so I fell asleep last night halfway through the episode. So I'm, I, they're getting ready for Anguilla, but they haven't gone yet. Anguilla is just a weird, it, it feels, it doesn't roll off my tongue. <laughs> no. It's a hard word to say. But I've seen pictures of friends that have gone there and it does look pretty awesome. I mean, I would love to go. Any island day. would be fucking yeah, fantastic. I'll take it. I'll let's take be, it. Let's be Roosevelt real. Island, I'm coming. Yeah. I used to babysit on that island. A lot of doctors. On Roosevelt Island? Yeah, because it's, you know, it's Upper East and it's across from some hospitals. So I would go um, babysit for some doctors, some residents, you know what I mean? Yeah, my friend Andrea Rosen is from there and we were just talking about it. I just saw her recently. She grew up there and I'm always like, what was that like? Like, they don't even have a school past sixth grade, I don't think. Like, they have to go into the city for, like, school. But, like... It's such a, I don't even think I've ever been there. Yeah, no, New York is, and we passed Governor's Island on the ferry. I mean, it really is just multifaceted. I had the best cheeseburger of my life. 
a Red Hook Tavern. Like, it Ooh. Just, yeah, it was just kind of too good to be true. And then I went to a friend's so house yesterday. There was some mortadella, my favorite, you know, like... <laughs> I'm so glad you had such a magical weekend. I have been, I actually do want to bring this up to the listeners because I'm sure I'm going to get a ton of messages uh, with uh, suggestions, but I have been potty training my son all weekend, doing the pants off method. My husband woke up with an illness on the first day of potty training and has been in bed the entire time. We just found out he has pneumonia. Don't worry, he's in recovery. He's got medication, but like, I've been like single-handedly potty training a child while dealing with another child. He's peeing everywhere. I hate every second of it. And I want to die. But, you know, I sent him to school today and told his teachers, we're 50-50, so good luck. <laughs> we'll oh see what happens. Maybe we'll but anyway, it's just call. been like a never-ending weekend of blah because that's all I've been doing. So I'm really glad that you have a good counterbalancing good weekend too. Does Rosie bring to understand what's happening? When oh, she's yeah. Like, Why is he pissing everywhere and taking yeah, shits she, on the floor? He hasn't taken a shit on the floor at our house, luckily. Uh, he has actually been proactive about shitting in the potty, but peeing is like, it's like he doesn't know what's happening. Like, he's just talking to me while it's happening. He's just like, he he was, we. I took him, I took him, because on the last day, the third day, you're allowed to go on short outings. So I took him to our friend's house and he immediately peed on this, like, um, there's these couches called the Nugget and they're like, you know, they kids can build like forts with them. They're like multi-piece couches or like little couches for kids. And he was climbing on it and just peed. I was like, I've never seen you pee like in motion while doing something. Like, what is wrong with, like, what's going on with you? So I'm just really trying to keep it cool, which is what my potty training course told me is to keep it cool. Um, So I'm like, oh, hey, man, you peed in your pants. You're supposed to do it in the potty. Maybe next time. Anyway, I'm supposed to act like that doesn't bother me at all. And it honestly is killing me, you know, because I don't like pee on my body or in my, on my hands or when I step in it. I don't like it. There was a pee incident with potty training on The Real Housewives of New York, too. Oh, yeah. I saw that. I got to that part. That actually made me feel a little bit better. I was like, okay, I guess kids be pissing. Okay. I knew I had something to bring to the table, and it just hit me. You know, besides bragging about my gorgeous Labor Day weekend, which I hope <laughs> everyone had. I also want to thank everyone that wished me a happy birthday. I saw all of your nice posts and messages. So thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Um, I am old and I am cool. Oh, and by the way, my birthday is tomorrow. So I expect the same uh, verve as you gave Lisa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are competitive with birthday wishes. We will be counting the amount of posts per person. But you did a great job on my slideshow. I That was a nice little surprise to wake oh, up to. Thanks. I was really surprised by that. And, you know, Kara and our friend Lauren sent me some cupcakes to the suburbs of Chicago. And I have another thing here for you. I'm actually like looking at it right now, but it's a little silly thing that I want to give you for your birthday, but I'll wait till you return from your yes. travels. Of course. So listen, um, after the day at the pool, my friend who I'm staying with went to bed at 8 p.m. So I, yes, 8 p.m. <laughs> she left me and I was like, okay, but I wasn't going to go out. So... I watched the telemarketers, the whole three part oh, series. I then I watched watch the documentary HQ, which was about this trivia phone app. And then I watched a four part series on Sean White, the snowboarder. And I'm into snowboarding now. <laughs> he is my icon, my idol. 
I pray to the, uh, <laughs> whatever, to Sean White. I didn't know anything. And then Julia, who I'm staying with, is like, yeah, we... Yeah, he's a big deal. Like, I didn't realize, like, I knew he was an Olympic gold medalist, of course. I knew he was very good, but a revolutionary in the sport. He is the reason snowboarding is what it is today. His family is incredible. They are all so tight-knit. And, like, even the sister in the doc was like, yeah, he's obviously incredibly talented. But if he didn't have our parents, he, this might right. not have happened. They yeah. got a van. They would live in a van and just drive from mountain to mountain. They would fly as a whole family, like supporting him. He is so fucking cool. I just really enjoyed the documentary. Of course, I cried. You know, he got his mom Alexis. And so <laughs> I, I bawled. Um, but the injuries he's had, but then um, I, I was, it wasn't enough. So I'm sleeping in the living room, but I couldn't sleep in the morning. So I'm on the YouTube and Julia comes out and she goes, are you watching Sean White videos? And I go, yeah. <laughs> I go, get ready. Get ready for my snowboard era. I've never been interested in winter sports in any capacity, but I think I might try snowboarding. I want to kind of try it now. That's so fun. Oh my God. More about how you and Rosie are freaking soulmates. She literally yesterday goes, mom, can I try snowboarding? And I was like, sure. I don't know how to snowboard, but maybe Uncle Kevin can teach us because my brother snowboards. And she was like, okay. I go, but just so you know, when you first start snowboarding, you land on your butt a lot. And she was like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> well, that was perfect. Maybe me and Rosie could take a lesson. Yeah. And I'll Together. just drink, hot, drink a little spiked hot chocolate. Wait, I've met Sean White. Wait, get the, in Torino. Yeah, in Torino, in Bardonecchia. I went to, I went with Katie Couric to, for, to, for her to interview him, the flying tomato. <laughs> but I didn't really know, like I knew he was famous, but I was like, hi, you know, like I I wasn't really like- Exactly, um, I didn't- yeah. I didn't realize what an epic, because he pushed the sport because yeah. he started practicing with foam pits and just like now, you know, the whole point of the four-part doc is like the last run and it's his fifth Olympics and like, you know, just his retirement ride. But the youth are so good because of him. He elevated yeah. the sport. And so now all these teenagers are incredible doing tricks that his old, you know, his old, he's 35. His body, he can't do it. He can't do it. All these injuries. Wow. And, but his physical therapist is amazing. And she works with Serena and Venus. And they have such a lovely relationship. His coach is cool. And he's dating Nina Dobriv, which people oh, yeah. are obsessed with her. Um, yeah, she's um, Vampire Diaries. Yeah, and she dated Ian Smolderholder from... Yeah, Smolderholder. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. If that you didn't say you. it, I was going to say it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah, because I found an article and it was like all Nina's exes and their estimated wealth, like net worth. And his is, of course, more than anybody's. He's worth yeah. $65 million. I mean, his Red Damn. Bull contract was for $100 million. He's like Tony Hawk with skateboarding, right? Exactly. Like, and they like lived Michael next Jordan. to each other. Oh my yeah. God. Because he called, he goes, I got a video game too. But like, I, I guess... <laughs> I knew he had long hair because my favorite clip of him is he's doing a post-Olympic interview and he's like, the flight was wild. Everyone yeah. was giving me attention. I've already said this on the pod before, but I do love it. And they, they did put it in the doc. And he goes, everyone was giving me drinks. And the newscaster goes, drinks? Aren't you 19? And he goes, ha, Mountain Dews, baby. Yeah, like so And quick. then she goes, did he just call me baby? <laughs> it's like... But I don't know. I was really inspired. I It was really cool. He is, yeah. And then he's friends with Aaron Paul. I don't know. I, it just was 
sports are really easy material for inspirational docs. Like, 30 for 30s, any kind of sport thing is usually invigorating, I would say. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, and then his mom was really tight with money and didn't want him to spend. And then finally he goes, whatever, mom, and then bought two Lamborghinis. Um, (laughs) But all this footage, but the telemarket, so I had like a documentary Saturday night. How was the telemarketing thing? Because I'm dying to watch that, but everything that those Safety Brothers guys make, like make me feel like I'm on cocaine and like I have to, uh, so well, I'm wondering Safety if it's going to get me Brothers agitated. didn't make it. They're producers. Oh, they're producing it. So okay. basically it's this like teen, teen scumbag. He loved graffiti. And his dad was like, you got to do it. You got to get a job. And who's going to hire a dirtbag teen? This telemarketing place um, that is a scam. I mean, they're highly illegal and they are, they're doing fundraising for the fraternal order of the police. And the it's obviously intertwined with the police and unions and they're taking people's money and spending it on golf excursions. Uh-huh. It's really fucked. But so basically, but this teen wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. So it's so much footage of this place. So it's like, that's how it started. It was just him as a teen getting all this footage. But a a, a lot of the people that work there are ex-cons because no one hires felons. But this place, there's no standards in any way. So these felons come out, they get jobs. So it's felons and teens. And the best salesman on the force is a heroin addict. So he's like falling asleep on heroin at work. There's sex workers selling their goods in the back. Like, it was wild. It like... There's a camaraderie. So it's like using all this footage. And then the dude on heroin, Pat, is like, you know, this company is shady as fuck. And they start investigating. And so then they lose him because he's an addict and they they can't find him for eight years. And then he hits them back up and they start re- the investigation again. And they start talking to government people and all this stuff. Wow. But what's a little wild is they get really cool meetings and they have a lot of evidence, but... He's not good at it. So there's a scene where Pat, this heroin dude, is like interviewing someone and the voiceover goes, and then we realized he wasn't very good at this, but they continue to do it. So they're like trying to do Michael Moore stuff and they're breaking, they're like entering a police union conference and he's like going up to a guy, he's like, Yates, Yates, Yates. And the guy's like, I'm not Yates. And they go outside, he goes, he's denying who he even is. And they're like, his name is Youse. It's not Yates. You know, so it's like, they're bad at it. So they get all the information and it is like, no one wants to fuck with the unions at the end of the day. There were, there were like national investigations and the companies got in trouble, but no one wants to fuck with these unions, but it is good. And there's a lot of cool info and footage. And I like the friendship and I, you know, camaraderie at a workplace when you're young is special. Yes. Like I waitress at a a Coke den restaurant and it's like, (laughs) there is like fun you know, stealing clam chowders and eating them in the back with single yeah. mothers is fun. But it's they are not good at investigative reporting. And so yeah. every interview <laughs> they get ends up as a bust. But they are right and it is corrupt and it is cool. So the, I think the Safety brothers like joined and probably made it better and produced, but it's because of all this old footage she had of okay. this I wild I'm gonna company. I'm going to watch it. I got to watch it. I can't wait. And the heroin dude looks like someone we know and it is very funny. Oh, okay. Now you got... Now I... Wait, let me watch it and make my guess. Yeah. I also found out through this that before you watched it, we talked about it with our friends and we found out that our friend was a telemarketer and was like very good at it. 
Yeah, I did fundraising for my um, a university and I was good at it, but I don't think, but I believed in it in a way. Yeah, yeah. I called alumni and was like, give a few bucks. You know, like, I don't, I don't think I was like, I wasn't selling somebody, uh, you know, a website that's not real, like Jen Shaw or whatever. Um, no, but it, it also, like, they had all the scripts and it's, they really, they're terrible people. And then some people's faces are blurred in the interviews, like the people that own these companies. Like, it oh, is, yeah. it's interesting. And the HQ one was interesting too. I didn't know anything about it. I played HQ religiously. Of course you did. Yeah. That's not, I, a, so I don't obsessed. have a doubt in my mind about that. <laughs> I was obsessed with HQ. <laughs> well, do you know the story of the demise and all of that? No. It's like, it's interesting. I don't even know what happened. Why did I stop playing? Like, why, I mean, why, I guess, why do we stop? When did I stop doing Marco Polo? When did we stop playing House Party? I mean, you know, like, no, there are, there's but, all these no, little- No, like, no, but those, like, someone lost their life. Like, this is insane. What? Like, there's, there's wild shit in this doc. That's what I mean. What? You know, Yes. True. The HQ documentary is true crime. I had no idea. It's all true. That's what we've learned. Everything is fucking Everything criminal. Everything is true crime. You know, once the housewives crossed over. Um. Well, we. I also want to say um, thanks to everybody that came out to our shows in Raleigh, Charlotte, D.C., Atlanta. We are back out at in October. Get those tickets. Boston, we need you guys to show up. We're at the Wilbur. We maybe bit off more than we could chew and we need to fill those seats. Um, and then Cleveland, we're at a we're we're in Toronto for the first time. We're at a ton of cool places. So go to that's messed up live.com and check out where we're going in October and come see us. Um, and then yes. the New York tickets are going fast. We might add another show if you guys keep, uh, if you guys keep it up. So, but get those New York ticks and we'll let you know what happens with that. Should we get started? And I'll be in Brooklyn, October 11th at the Bell House. There's some That's tickets right. left. Not a lot. I would get them. Yeah. Get those Bell House tickets. I'm doing an opening set. It's going to blow your fucking mind. Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I will do, we'll do what I can. All right. We have a great episode for you guys though. So stay right where you are. You guessed it, guys. We did Born Psychopath last week, and obviously we're hitting you with the two-parter. We're doing Postgraduate Psychopath today, season 22, the second part of a, I don't know, two episodes that with eight seasons in between. This one aired May of 2021, and you can tell there's COVID, like, precautions all over this episode. So you could tell they shot it during that time. Wait, but I don't even think I noticed that. I'm so, Oh yeah, there's what? like screens. There's people talking about oh, masks. Yeah, I yeah. saw the screen. I don't know why the masks isn't registered. It's so wild. <laughs> well, so if you have not listened to last week's episode, you probably should. If this is your first episode, that's pretty wild of our podcast. But um, go back because this is part of a two-parter. So we open with a disclaimer on this episode that it's a fictional story and not based on anyone. As usual, sure, Jan. So the episode opens with some sepia-toned footage of the last episode. So eight seasons earlier, Born Psychopath. It's refreshing our memory. Henry's being sent to a treatment facility until he's 18 years old. Cut to present day. It's December of 2020. And but Henry also, I am curious, did they come up with this in the writer's room? Did Warren Light want him back? Were they like, this would be a great idea? Like, I am so curious and maybe we need to hit up our mole because I want to know how they decided to do this. They've never really done this before outside of I know. Like William Lewis, but that's so connected. I, yeah. I, they've never done this and I am curious how they came up with this and that the boy agreed to come back and all of that, so. 
Yeah, I am too. That'll be a question when we finally get Warren Light on the podcast. I'm sure after the strike yeah. is resolved, he's going to be dying to talk. So um, it's it's December of 2020, the heart of the pandemic. Henry Messner is standing in family court addressing a judge. And guess what? He's 18 now. And he is describing how he's been in the facility since he was 10. And by the way, he doesn't go to Vermont like the way they talk about it in the thing. He definitely, I think, is in a facility that's like out on Long Island or somewhere in New York because you see it later in the title cards. And he's like, when I got here, I lacked remorse, empathy, impulse control. I was a pathological liar. I had anger issues. And we see a flashback of Henry being a creepy little psycho. Like we just all watched this episode last week. And now his therapist is on the sand saying that he's been an exemplary patient for the past five years, curious, proactive in his recovery. And she is just standing behind a free piece of plexiglass. So you can tell it's pandemic vibes. And, well, and um, she, I don't know if you remember her, she's from that episode with Adam Beach where Chester Lake ends up murdering people. She's in the society with him. Oh, she's that's in like, right. I knew I recognized her. The yeah. actress's name is Deirdre Lovejoy, which I was like, that's just a cute name, but I didn't actually look her up, like, to see that. That's interesting. Yeah, she was the one that was in the secret society of detectives in Philadelphia with her. Yeah. Which Wait, is what's based her name? Because like, she sounds familiar. She looks, she seemed, what's her name again? Deirdre Lovejoy. Because Lovejoy is also from The Simpsons, Reverend Lovejoy. Oh. Um, but she's really familiar. Yeah, she has so many credits. Oh, yeah. She's been working. Blacklist, SVU. Oh, wait. She's been on a couple SVUs. Hold on. Oh, my God. What she was, was in Slaves. One? She was in Slaves Stop. season one, which we've covered based on Colleen Stan. She plays a detective. Then she's the same detective in season two, an episode called Secrets. And then she plays someone named Penelope Fielding in Cold. That's the one you're talking about because yeah. those are cold cases. And then she's back as Dr. Mackey. Uh, so they obviously love her. Um, looking at her stuff. Well, this is interesting because I just watched Girls and she's in an episode of Girls. So I feel like that might be the connection oh, okay. that I had because she seemed so familiar to me. But also she was in Orange is the New Black for a couple episodes. Okay, yeah. And she's done like an American Horror Story. She's been working. So she's like, no one could be like- Oh, she plays one of Hannah's aunts in Girls. Oh, right, right, right. That's where no I one just could saw be her. hype manning Henry Messner more than this woman. She is like, <laughs> he is the shit. And this we reminds flash- me of Ed Kemper, you know, who was able to, he was so smart because a lot of these psychopaths are really high IQ. And so Ed Kemper, you know, killed his like grandma and grandpa as a youth and was able to trick everyone, become everyone's favorite guy. And they feel good about themselves because they're like, wow, I'm an amazing psychologist. Yeah, I cured this little psycho and they know how to fake it. Yeah. So this reminds me of Ed Kemper, which is a case that we covered. If, you know, if you're new to this pod and you want to go explore, we already gave you a couple examples. Yeah. It's a cool, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's fucking psycho, but it's a very, I love the Ed Kemper stuff. It's so interesting. Well, because Slaves also that you mentioned was one of our first episodes we've ever done and still haunts me. I think about Colleen Stan weekly. Yeah. I think about her all the time. It really affected me. Yeah. It's a, yeah, horrific case. And the people can survive, come back from the edge of such horror. Oh, you know what? This actress, though, to come back to it, she was 60 episodes of The Wire. So uh, no wire had, because people will yell. If we didn't, 60, they know yeah, her from The okay, Wire. Okay, <laughs> okay. You guys know The Wire is my blind spot. I never watched it. So, I watched but that two is, seasons. 
That is a big thing for her. Yeah, 60 episodes. And she's done regular Law and Order and I bet you she's done, you know, oh, she's done Criminal Intent. So she's done the whole trifecta. So the sister, Ruby, who's now 13, it, who Henry tried to kill, is like in the gallery at the, at court watching. His, his therapist says that when he was admitted, he was on the severe end of the psychopathy checklist. And we're seeing, you know, a flashback of Henry describing how he just super coolly killed Snowball. But the therapist insisting that now he's learned how to control his emotions and behavior. And now on the stand is Henry's dad, who was sitting with the sister, but I didn't recognize it because they have recast him. He is a different man. Um, (laughs) Oh, is it a recast? I thought maybe he just got a little older. (laughs) No, the season 14 actor was named Alex Manette, who weirdly was also in the movie We Need to Talk About Kevin, which is an iconic movie about a child psychopath, which I saw on one of my first dates with Jared, if that tells you anything. Um, Anyway, it looks like this guy stopped acting in 2017. So that's probably why he didn't come back to reprise the role. And now it's being played by Jason Cottle. And I don't really know anything him from anything. Um, he's on the stand saying that him and his new wife, Holly, and his sister, Ruby, have visited regularly Henry in this facility. They can't wait for him to come home and live with them and live with his new little brother, Arlo. Uh-oh. He also reveals... I just think having, when you mentioned that like there's going to be a little kid around a psychopath, I don't like that. I mean, immediate hairs on the back of my neck. So he also reveals that Henry's mother passed away five years ago, aka Hope Davis was busy and not replaceable because I think she had a bigger (laughs) part in the last episode and she's more recognizable. And they're like, but she would be so proud of Henry, he says. And Henry testifies that the staff and Dr. Mackey have helped and encouraged him so much. They really had faith that he could change. And the judge is like, all right, let me think about this and I'll get a decision to you before the holidays. And Henry gives this like extremely freaky half smile this actor is like very good. Like he's so dead eyes. It's like really, and he just gives this sort of like half smile that you could kind of, if you were the judge, be like, oh, is he smiling or is he a total psycho? It's like very, very confusing. And that leads us right into the credits. From the credits, we are smashed right in to seeing a girl getting wheeled out of a building on a stretcher that says, the the building says Manhattan School of Design. So we're at like one of the many made up colleges in New York. And a uniformed officer is downloading all the info. Her name is Libby Blandin. She's 19. She's unconscious. She was found burned, lost a lot of blood. Her roomie found her tied up, gagged, and naked. So sexual assault is implied. Finn and our girl, Kat Tamine, aka friend of the pod, Jamie Gray Hyder, are there. They go to talk to the roommate. She's wearing like a two-piece outfit with like neon and like matching neon boots. And she explains that she and Libby were at a dage, which is a day rage. I did double check it and make sure that it wasn't just like some boomer in the writer's room making this up. It does exist. I wish we could do better. I think that sounds like silly slang. But apparently Libby left the dage early around seven or eight. And the roommate went to go hook up with her ex. And then she's like, oh my God, that might've saved my life. And it's like, also your friend isn't dead. Stop being so dramatic. In the dorm room, the scene is extremely fucked up. Like we've seen other scenes, but like there is so much blood on the mattress. There's an extension cord that was used to tie up the victim. And Finn goes, we're looking at a psycho. And Kat looks like she's about to throw up. She's like new guy puking in the corner. If you know Tommy boy. And, uh, She's very disturbed by what she's seeing. Security cameras have kids coming in and out of the building all night and half of them are wearing masks, not masquerade style, COVID style. So it's like gonna be very hard to like 
weed this guy out. And Kat's like, he had to have left DNA. And Finn's like, yeah, but he might not be in the system. Someone this fucked up, if they were in the system, they would have never let them out. And it's like, yeah, but Finn, we've seen the system let out dangerous psychos a million times. Like the baker butcher of Alaska, the fucking guy was hunting women in the woods of Alaska. He was in jail like three times before he went out and did all that. So anyway, now we're at the playground. Rollins is in mom mode. Jesse is swinging. Little Billy is bundled up in a stroller. And Rollins is on the phone with her mom talking about how it was your idea for dad to move in. You can't call me every time he makes a mess and blah, blah, blah. So Rollins goes, all right, listen, I'll call dad. We'll have a family meeting. And I was like, I am RSVPing a hard no to the Rollins family meeting. Can you imagine how <laughs> psycho that is? Just like Amanda and her crazy sister and her crazy mom yeah, and her dad. Honestly, Henry would fit right in. Yeah. Right in with yeah. <laughs> the Rollins family. Right. And the dad gets to bring his new girlfriend who's like using him for we don't know what. It would be, does Carisi get to go? Will Billy and Jesse be there? Who's to say? So she gets a call from Liv and ditches her mom, obviously. Rollins can't find <laughs> Jet, And she's like, all right, I'll meet you right there. Rollins then cannot find Jesse immediately. And this is like a nightmare mom scenario that happens to me six times a day where I'm just like, where's Oscar? Like, I can't find him. Like, Rosie, I kind of always know will not do something crazy, but Oscar will run into traffic. So I'm, I have this happen all the time. After like, Five seconds, Jesse appears with a little white dog, Stuffy, and she says, oh, a nice man gave it to me. And um, I don't think we've ever discussed this, but I think everybody must know, Jesse is played by twins whose names are Charlotte and Vivian Cabell. And this is like a moment where Jesse has more lines. And so I wanted to just shout out those little twinsies. They are very cute. And Rollins is like very sketched out by a random man giving her daughter a toy. And then Jesse drops the hammer and goes, yeah, the man told me that the puppy's name is Snowball. And Amanda looks shook because she's like remembering Snowball from eight years ago. At Mercy Hospital now, Libby is awake and talking to Benson. You might also remember that this character, Libby Blandin, is in the beginning of the episode Tangle Strands of Justice. Remember, she's stealing all those watches from her sugar daddy. And then a Queens detective played by Orfe uses her DNA from this case to bust her illegally. So if you're wondering... How do I remember Libby Blandon? This is where we first meet her. She explains that this perp knocked on her dorm room door, said he was locked out, asked to use her cell phone, and so she let him in. I thought he was a student. He's the same age as me. He knew my name. She says he pulled a knife and said, should I cut your clothes off or burn them off? And she didn't answer him. He just smiled, tied her up, cut her clothes, sexually assaulted her, and burned her is, with cigarettes. Ugh. When I first saw this, I thought it was going to be two crimes. Like, I feel like a fool. I totally thought it was going to be, like, two dueling crimes. Like, I was really, even though I've seen this episode before, I was, like, shocked it was him. Yeah. This is a, I mean, this episode's only from, like, two, we, this podcast had started when this episode aired. This is, like, a Whoa. new episode. Yeah. So, he, she says he choked her until she'd almost pass out. So, this guy's, like, very much torturing her for fun. And then before he left, he asked for her debit card on the code. Then he came back and took one of her stuffed animals. And Rollins is like, it wasn't a white dog, was it? And like, yeah, bitch, it actually was. She shows a picture because she has a picture of the stuffy on her phone. And Libby goes, yeah, that's Daisy. And so I guess her stuffed animal is named Daisy. And then a nurse comes in to bring Libby to surgery. And Liv's talking to Rollins and Liv's like, what the hell? What's up with the stuffed animal? And Rollins is like, here's the whole story. And Liv's immediately panicked. And she's like, but, and Rollins says, don't worry, the girls are with my mom. And Livy is like, I'm sending an officer anyway. Rollins is like, this can't be a coincidence, right? And Liv's like, there's no way. Henry Messner must still be locked up. And it's like, 
it's pretty simple math. He was 10. It's been eight years. He's out. And Rollins is like, let's make some calls. Finn has a hit on the debit card and lives like, be careful. This guy knows who we are. So now we're in Cooper Square and guess who we are fucking talking to? It's Keys, the guy from Wednesday's Child who has all the sets of keys and moves everybody's cars. We just talked to him. We just met this character like four episodes ago on our podcast, not in not in the run of the show. And he's played by no, Andre DeShields. it's heartbreaking because I would have loved to try to get Andre DeShields, I you know? know, but it happens. We do love we Keys. We do love Keys and, you and we know love what? Andre DeShields. And I will say it again, even though I said in the other episode, his Tony award-winning speech is very inspirational. And if you need a boost in your spirit, I would watch it. And I know we have our casting mole that listens. Let's get Andre DeShields in season 25 when things pick back up. Let's get him on. Yeah, get him back. A bigger get part. The in. Key, something happens. Keys witnesses a crime. Let's get Keys like actually, you know, most of, he's all been circumstantial here. But basically what happens here is he goes, why are you messing with Keys again? Which I love because <laughs> we were supposed to like remember Keys from multiple seasons ago. And Finn's like, you used a stolen debit card last night. And he's like, I didn't hurt anyone. I'm just trying to survive. And the guy's like, he only let me have 50 bucks. I'll give it back. I don't want anything to do with that guy. And he says, he ain't right. So this guy- And Keys had, knows. Keys, Keys has knows. been in the city for- for yeah. decades. Keys meets all kinds. And if someone's freaking out Keys, this guy is freaky. So he goes, this guy had me use the ATM, take out cash, and then made me go buy, quote, a bunch of crazy stuff at the hardware store. Zip ties, rope, duct tape. Oh, and a hand torch. Cool. This guy obviously has a thing for fire and burning, as we've established. At the hospital, Rollins is calling around, but it's a Saturday. No one will tell her where the fuck Henry Messner is. They're acting like it's confidentiality. Like, they, I, it feels like it would be public record that he was released into the public, but I don't know. In walks Libby's mother, Dr. Blandin, played by Margaret Reed, who also played defense attorney Felicia Chatham in the episodes Debt, Charisma, and Stranger, which are all episodes we've covered on this podcast. So it turns out that the mom is an adolescent psychologist specializing in violent behavior. So she knows that whoever did this is a psychopath. And Rollins is like, okay, well, now we are definitely not in coincidence territory anymore. Does the name Henry Messner ring any psycho bells for you? And she's like, I haven't seen Henry in five years. And she says she was the one that told him that his mother had died. And she go, they go, did you ever tell Henry about your daughter, Libby? And she goes, sometimes to get patients to open up, please don't tell me they've released him. And then Liv and Rollins share a look. So now at the Messner's home, they're banging on the door. No one's answering. Neighbors haven't seen hide or hair of these people since yesterday. They bust in. It's a mess. Shit is smashed. There is blood splattered everywhere. Pretty quickly, we see the legs of a little boy in a pool of blood, which is fucked up. Like, we have not seen that many times. And this is like a five-year-old boy. Kat looks terrified. Like, she looks truly... I don't know what episode this is for Kat, but she's like, oh God, this is not what I'm used to. I forgot what department she like came from, but I don't think it was dead little boys in a pool of blood. So Amanda finds the stepmom in the kitchen, murdered. Wait, this whole time I was away, did you ever watch Mob Wives? No. Do you know who Big Ange is though? Of course. Okay, so Big Ange, rest in peace. There's an amazing clip of her going around where she's talking to somebody about a new guy she's dating. She goes, well, he just got out after 25 years for murder. Anyway, he's buying me a puppy. And it's like the funniest clip. And we just played it with my siblings and we just kept going for murder. So when I was, 
When I was writing this, I wrote, the mom, stepmom's in the kitchen, murdered. The dad is dead, face down in what looks like a very elaborate breakfast spread. Um, and then Kat goes, there's another body. And Liv's like, well, the sister would be 13. And Kat's like, no, this is a little boy, like five. And they're like, okay, this guy is on a spree and it started here. So the bodies are, we find out at the top of act two that the bodies are out of rigor. Time of death is within 48 hours. So basically the timeline is he murders his whole family Friday morning, assaults Libby Friday night. On Saturday morning, he goes to the park where he uh, like approaches Jesse. Also, the gun safe in the house is wide open and empty. So now this kid is armed and we have no idea how many even fucking guns this dad had. So who knows how dangerous this kid is. Benson gets a call. Ruby is alive. And she goes, oh, thank God. She was staying at a friend's house in Oyster Bay. And Rollin goes, yeah, but now we have to tell a 13-year-old that her whole family's been murdered. And <laughs> Benson's like, right, I forgot. Yes, that's true. We do have to do that. Um, and then they do a quick shot of a tiny body bag before we head over to Oyster Bay. Ruby is with her friend, Charlotte and her friend's mom, Megan. And the detectives have already broken the news. Like Ruby's crying and they're like, okay, we need to talk to Ruby alone. So the friend and the mom walk away with Kat. But the mom is like, um, I definitely don't want to be a target for a serial killing psychopath. Are we supposed to be worried? Kat's like, no worry. There's going to be a 24-7 police presence outside. Don't leave the house. And the mom is like, listen, I was friends with Holly, the stepmom. She was terrified of Henry. She tried to tell Tom. And honestly, the dad is to blame for all of this. Like, the dad never thought he should be sent away. And then the dad's like, after eight years, he's fixed. Let's bring him home and bring him around my tiny son who, how could that kid not, how could any kid would feel a little bit replaced? Like I got sent away for eight years and you had another boy when I was gone. Like, and you're just gonna let him be in the house. It, it's so crazy. And it's also weird because they panned to the mom, the stepmom in court and she had like a big smile on her face like they were putting on a show for court. But to her friends, she's like, this kid terrifies me and I don't really want him in my house. Kat wonders, oh, is that why he had a gun? And Holly was like, Tom thought they just needed to show Henry enough love and he'd be fine. But Holly insisted on protection. But they also had a gun before in earlier in the season 14 episodes. So I don't really know what the point of this conversation is. Rollins is talking to Ruby, who is played by Maxine Wanderer, who is very young, but recently did three episodes of Chicago Fire. So Dick Wolf sees the potential. And she's sad about her little brother. She's like, Arlo, he was just a little boy. And she says, Henry hated him. He was so jealous of him. She says the last time she talked to Henry was Friday. She left early for school while the rest of the family was having breakfast. Henry and his dad were fighting because the dad wanted Henry to get a job to do something, anything. Well, what had he been? Isn't this like pretty quick? Like, I don't understand why you need to force this kid to have a job. He's obviously troubled. Like, can he just not have a process? Like, he's been locked away for eight years. He can't have a moment to breathe. Totally agree. And I think it's absolutely because of this dad being a lot like the dad in like the Pika episode or a lot of these other episodes where they're like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. You're a normal 18-year-old. Go get a job. Like that's, yeah, exactly. Like he's not, what would he do? I mean, I don't know. I feel like he needs a lot more. Why don't you more. take him to the zoo first? Uh, take him to the beach. Why don't you just <sighs> like work on your familial love and relationship? Take a week off work, you Amtrak freak. Like I just... <laughs> Uh, this dad is, outside of the ones that abuse and murder, is my least favorite. He is the worst dad yeah. of the whole bunch. Or, you know, who the episode popular, that dad's bad, where he's like happy that his daughter got raped instead of being a slut because then it's not her fault. 
That was a oh, bad dad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A couple bad dads. We got yeah, a these bad two dads. dads should go have a fucking meeting in hell together. Fuck. Yeah. So Rollins or somebody asks, well, what has he been up to? And um, the friend, Charlotte, is like, he's been bragging to Ruby about taking driving lessons. And the mom is like, Holly didn't like that. She liked it better when he just stayed in his room for days playing video games. At least like she knew where he was and like he wasn't hurting anybody. Ruby says they could hear him talking through the wall in the headset, but he doesn't have any friends. The only kids he know are from, knew are from the facility and he had nobody else. So... They shouldn't have let him out, Ruby says. Why did they? Great question. So now we're at the Heslin Juvenile Psychiatric Facility in Yonkers. So he didn't make it to Vermont. He's somewhere local. Dr. Mackey, we're talking to her, Henry's BFF. And she's like, this is every psychiatrist's worst nightmare. For five years, we gave him the tools to get better. His family petitioned for his release. He demonstrated he was no longer a threat. He passed all the exams. He had a perfect record. The family said they'd care for him. Three psychiatrists, including me, testified on his behalf. Like, what else could we have done? When she met him, she thought he'd turned his life around. Like, because I guess when she got there, he was already in treatment there. And Rollins is like, but have you heard the theory? Like, this is classic Rollins where, I think this is what makes Melinda annoyed with her, where she acts like she's an expert more than people that are experts. She's like, but have you heard the theory that group therapy is ineffective for psychopaths because it just helps them learn how to fake being mentally healthy? And she's like, yes, Rollins, I'm aware. And I've looked for that. And she says, no one has ever fooled me and an entire staff before. So basically, this kid spent eight years learning how to appear completely sane. And the doctor's like, yeah, that's what it looks like. They said he has one friend in this place. Let's go talk to him. So they're talking to this kid. And he talked about being angry with Holly, his stepmom, and said, and then he goes, hate and anger are not productive emotions. So you can sort of tell this kid's also just like repeating back what parents want to hear and what people want to hear. No idea where Henry is, he said. He goes, he left me a note when he got out, but and he put some money in my commissary, but I would have no idea where that letter even is. And he's painting a birdhouse. And Rollins is like, bro, I'm going to testify that you aided and abetted a serial killer if you don't start spilling. And the guy's like, I don't know. And Finn goes, take a guess. And suddenly, well, and also... Yeah, Rollins is like, I'm going to cut your time in half. You're never going to get out of here. And he's like, that's not fair. I'm not the same as Henry. And so Finn's like, take a guess. And suddenly this guy has tons of info. He goes, maybe check with my older sister, Cora. They hooked up on a visit here once. And Cora always reminds me of the woman in the, poor woman in the Dean Kane episode. So now we're at Cora's apartment. Music is blaring. Live a cat and a team bust the door down. No one's there. But then one second later, Cora comes home and is like, what the hell? And they're like, down on the ground. And she's on the ground with like a very wild multi-level haircut. And she's like, they're like, is Henry Messner here? And she goes, yeah, he's my boyfriend. And then they start going through his like meticulously folded piles of clothes. And she goes, don't go through his stuff. He doesn't like that. Don't you need a warrant? And Liv's like, bitch, your boyfriend is armed and dangerous. She goes, he's not who you think he is. He's a gentle soul. His demons are gone. Okay, we'll see. So now Cora is in interrogation, wood and blinds, not bars and concrete. And she says, Henry just needs to breathe without people all up in his grill. He needs some time. And she tells them that he likes to be by the water. He likes to go to the park and watch kids play. And that he was at Morningside Park yesterday. And they're like, how do you know that? She goes, whenever he takes pictures on his phone, they upload to the cloud. So now they're like, give us your phone. They go through, they go through the phone and fuck, there's pictures of Jesse and they're, 
are pictures of Ruby at the house in Oyster Bay, which means he's been like watching her and stalking her and knows where she is. They're like, fuck, get to the house and let's alert the parents. The mom is not answering her cell. And when they get there, the Volvo is gone. So there's a police department from like the local Oyster Bay PD. There's a car outside, but no cop in it. And then the lo- another local cop rolls up and he's like, what's the big deal? And they're like, what, where the fuck is your guy? Like we have somebody on the loose. And they're like, he goes, there was a bomb scare at the mall, all units. So now the cop car is there, but where's the cop? They pop the trunk. He's in there alive. Thank God. I don't know why Henry wouldn't just stab him for shits, but he zip tied and duct taped the house down. He obviously, I don't know. But also how how embarrassing you're a grown ass cop and the kid without hurting you or injuring you got you tied up. I mean, I guess he has a bunch of guns, but like, how did this like teen outsmart and overpower a cop? It's very confusing. So now they answer the house. The mom is on the ground of the kitchen. It very much echoes when they found Holly, who was found dead in the kitchen. And the woman looks pretty dead, but Rollins finds a pulse. Upstairs, um, Kat hears screaming and it's Charlotte, Ruby's friend, who's like tied up in the shower. Um, And she says, it was Henry. Henry took Ruby and he said he wanted to go on a ride. And then Rollins is talking to Finn and just out of nowhere, just Rollins' intuition goes, maybe a ride isn't a car ride. Are there any amusement parks nearby? Huge jump. Not sure how Rollins figured that out, but here we are. They pull up to this closed amusement park and boom, the Volvo is parked right outside. The amusement park is locked, but they could have easily squeezed through the gate. There's like give in the lock on the gate. Everyone is searching this place for Henry. Rollins spots a fun house and once again has serial killer intuition, just knows that he might be in there. So Finn goes, wait on backup. And Amanda's like, right. And then Amanda, queen of bad decisions, is like, I'm just going to pop into the fun house by myself. <laughs> and so now she's in a Which full is house what? of mirrors. Like, I know this is TV. Obviously, they have to enter alone. They, of course, they're not going to wait for backup. They are heroes. But a fun house is the number one worst place. Like, yes. I can't imagine a worse place. It is... And it's also not as funny as the haunted house that like Finn and uh, Munch went in, rest in peace, and Zebras. zebras. That was like funny. (laughs) Like this is truly like from the movie Us. Like I don't, get out of there. I know. It is truly from the movie Us. Like why would you go into a fun house, which is just known for being mirrors, corners, nooks where people can hide and jump out at any moment? Literally the worst. So she's in there. I remember watching this when it first came out and being like, oh, this is kind of a neat scene though, like where you can't tell where he is and you can't tell where Rollins is like because it's so many mirrors. So they filmed it kind of cool. We hear Henry talking to Ruby, telling him how the parents brought him there before she was born. And she was like, let me go, please. I won't tell. And he says, she's always been a lying little tattletale. He doesn't believe her. Rollins interrupts. Henry has a gun on Rollins and he's like, you're even prettier up close and your daughters look just like you. And she's like, you haven't changed a bit, Henry. Still a freaky creep. So now she goes, drop the gun. And he goes, it's not like I'm going to hurt her. And it's like, why would anybody think that? Like you are literally (laughs) a fully murderous psychopath. She's like your Um, number one enemy. Yeah, yeah. You've been holding on to hate for, for Ruby probably forever. Yeah. So Rollins goes, why don't you let Ruby go? We'll stay here just us two. Because Rollins is like, this guy's 18. I can flirt with him. It's legal. She always uses her flirtations to get what she needs. He's like, you're not mad about Jesse? He goes, I wouldn't hurt her. She wasn't on my list. So this guy has like an Adam Sandler style like list of people. Or what movie is that? What is Happy Madison. Sandler? I don't Happy know what Madison? list you're talking about. Billy Madison, somebody has a list of all the people they want to kill. Steve Buscemi. 
I had almost everything right. <laughs> Happy Madison is like his production company. Anyway, so Rollins says, still, a mom has to protect her kids. And Henry's like, not mine. She had me locked up. And Ruby's like, that wasn't mom's fault or dad's. And he goes, yeah, it was your fault. And I wasn't sorry when mom died in that car crash. Slash Hope Davis was unavailable because she was making the movie Love Life, the television show. Ruby is crying and he calls her a crybaby. Rollins swoops in and says, I'm the one who put you away. After you shot my partner, I made sure you got locked up. So then he points a gun at her, but it's still a funhouse mirror. So it's very confusing. Outside, there's all these huge teams moving in. You know, I never know who it is. It's like Nassau County Police and, and, uh, the CSU teams or whatever. There's always kinds of like different teams of guys in like full hard hat and riot gear getting ready to t- storm the fun house. Rollins is not responding to the radio, which is making Liv really frustrated. But then she finally does and she says, Ruby is coming out with Henry's gun. And so Ruby comes out, gun up, is like, don't shoot me. They grab her and she says, Henry didn't want to talk to me anymore. He just wanted to talk to Rollins. And now some guy in a tactical unit is like, we got state police and Nassau County police en route. How experienced is your detective? And lives like, very. Don't even question the experience of my detectives, you little punk. Plus, this is now downgraded because he's disarmed. And they're like, yeah, unless he took Rollins's gun, we have no idea what's going on in there. So they're like, well, it'll be kind of tough to sneak up on someone in a house of mirrors. So the guy goes, I'm going to try to sneak some cameras in there. She keeps trying to radio Rollins who won't respond. And then finally, she's like, give us a few minutes. Henry and I are talking. So now we get the little moment that we always get between Rollins and a psycho where she's like, why'd you come here? And he goes, well, I had my childhood taken away from me. No beaches, no amusement parks, just arts and crafts. And that's, I guess, a reference to the birdhouses that they had to paint back at the facility. He loves the ocean because the ocean doesn't give a fuck. The ocean does what it wants, take what it wants. The ocean is a psychopath. So he tells the story about coming to that park and the beach. I guess that this park is right next to a beach. When he was six with a kid named Oscar and his mom, a little unnerving. The kid, Oscar, couldn't swim. He didn't know that there was deep water at the edge of the flats. He got sucked under a riptide. He said he saw him gasping for air. The kid's mom jumped in, so did a lifeguard, but both Oscar and his mom drowned, which they were, she goes, that must've been scary. And he goes, I just did what the ocean wanted me to do. Floated with the tide. The Coast Guard found me a mile from shore. And I guess his mom was a mess. And he was like, I was more than okay. That was the first time I knew I was different. I was just bummed I didn't get to see it. Meaning he didn't get to see his friend and his mother drown. Outside, Liv is getting annoyed. She needs Rollins to update her. And on top of that, the bossy man in the hard hat is like, it's not your call. We're going in in five minutes. So inside, Rollins is like, so what's up, dude? Like, what do you want to do? You want to come out? You want to get shot? You want to come with me and I'll protect you? And he's like, why would you protect me? And she's like, because I remember you as a little boy in the kitchen eating strawberries. Call back to last episode. He goes, you flinched when I walked past, but you didn't leave. And he, she says, I was worried about you. And even now, I don't want you to die. And Rollins comes out finally with Henry cuffed. And Henry's like, I couldn't help myself. Just ask her. I'm not of sound mind. Like he's already talking like the fucking Joker. Liv's like, what the fuck? And Rollins is like, I'm sorry. I just love playing mind hunter. I can't stop myself. I love to noodle around in the head of these creepy psychos. She's like, this spree is all he's been thinking about for eight years. And wherever he ends up, they need to throw away the key. So Top of Act 4. This seems like it'd be the end of the episode, but there's more. Top of Act 4, Henry's being evaluated, but alas, our Huang days are long gone at this point. So it is Mr. Noodle, a.k.a. Olivia's therapist, Dr. Peter Lindstrom. 
he's been in 17 episodes. I didn't realize so many, but he is quite recurring um, in these later seasons, so some of the, the, the mid-teens to the 20s. And he says, he's not there to judge you, Henry. I'm just trying to figure out how we got here. And Henry says, four months ago. So I guess it's been four months. So he got out in December and now it's like March or something, April. And he's decided to go on his spree. Henry says, four months ago, the state of New York said I wasn't a danger to myself or others. Think they made the right decision? So then Lindstrom comes out to talk to Liv and Rollins and Carisi. And he's like, whoever let this kid out should have their license revoked. Carisi's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hindsight's 2020. Doc, is he competent to stand trial? And the doc is like, it's complicated starring Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin. He's like, so they're basically like, does he know right from wrong? Can he aid in his defense? And Lindstrom is like, hello, I'm a professional. I know what the legal parameters are, but he's also saying that Henry has two standard deviations away from the normal range for callous, unemotional behavior when he was 10. A psychopath brain is different, probably from birth, but his defense may argue that his personality disorder affects his sanity. So Rollins argues that he knew exactly what he was doing and he knew it was wrong. And the doctor's like, yes, but he spent half his life locked up and then was sent home to the family he blamed for doing the locking up. And lives like, it's like pouring gas on a fire and lighting a match or whatever, pouring gas on something and lighting a match. And his defense will be to put the state on trial for letting him out in the first place. And Rollins is like, fuck that. He gets to go on a spring break killing spree, settle a bunch of scores, and then go back to group therapy with his friends at Camp Hesland. I don't think so. Rollins is like, I thought there was some of it was true about when she was in the no. funhouse with him. She's and fully I'm, acting. And I'm with Rollins. I hate this therapist. In this moment, I go, Benson, you better find another therapist. He's not good. Because what you want to be soft on this guy? He's just killed multiple people. Even earlier, he shot a cop. Like, the, I think the state should be sued for letting him out. And I think this therapist fucking sucks. Like, why are we making excuses for this psychopath who's going to continue to murder? I don't get it. Here's the thing. If he goes to jail, he's just going to murder in jail. If he goes to Great. a psychiatric facility, they'll just keep him drugged up and he won't be able to hurt anybody. They, they can't get him drugged up in prison? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, because he can murder people there too. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, he's Keep just him in solitary confinement. Like fuck it. Like yeah. again, the first, then the born psychopath. It's like poor Henry, poor Henry, as his daughter, as his sister Ruby is getting the shit beat out of her. Yeah, and now a five-year-old is dead, and they're still just like, but Henry's kind of crazy. We gotta take care of him. I'm like in a twilight zone with this. Therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, okay, so Lindstrom is like, I know you want to see him punished, but sending a mentally ill person to prison, I've seen prisons where there's one psychologist for 500 men. It's like the dark ages. And Carisi's like, all right, we just, competent or not, like, I gotta know, like, what's up? I, this is black and white for Carisi. And he's like, he is competent, but the question is the problem. Like, you asking me whether he's competent is kind of the problem, is what Lindstrom says. You That's asking, why you were brought in. What do you mean? We brought you here to say if he's competent or not. If you had a yeah. problem with the question, you shouldn't have come in. But I think he's saying there's shades of gray here. It's not just black and white. And, uh, you know, I, I see where he's coming from in his, like, as a psychiatric professional. Anyway, Rollins is about to break down. She's like, I got to go get some fresh air. Lisa's with her. <laughs> They have to go outside together. Carisi's like, I'll go with her. Lindstrom asks Liv how she's doing. She goes, it's been a tough year. I think just referencing the pandemic. And she goes, I'm lucky. Noah's okay. My squad is healthy. And then uh, Lindstrom goes, and what about Stabler? You said he reappeared out of nowhere. And Liv goes, yeah, and it's been a lot to process. And he's like, well, I can see why you want an appointment and I really look forward to it. That's such a weird thing to say. If my therapist was like, I ran into her at Trader Joe's and she was like, 
I heard you're having a problem and I really look forward to our session on Sunday. I'd be like, what? That's a weird thing to say. Liv's like, yeah, cool, me too, bro. And then she just bounces right out of the room. She does not want to talk to Dr. Mr. Noodle anymore. In the competency hearing, Lindstrom is on the stand once again, trying to color the shades of gray between the law and psychiatry. And the judge, like everyone else, is like, black or white, competent or not. And he goes, yes. And they excuse his ass, so he's out of there. Henry's lawyer is April Andrews, who is played by Erin Anderson. She's been in six episodes of SVU, including I Deserve Some Loving Too, which we covered. She has like an Edie Falco vibe to me. And she plays a character named Ainsley in And Just Like That, like three episodes. Let me look this up. She has kind of like a young Edie Falco thing going on for me. Not that Edie Falco's not young, but this woman's younger. Anyway, the judge rules that Henry is capable of participating in his own defense. And his lawyer is like, okay, we'll be pleading not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. And then she kind of starts to argue her case. And the judge is like, save it for the jury. And Henry like so creepily goes, you're being rude to my lawyer. Let her finish. And then he stands up, starts heading for the judge. The slowest slowest bailiffs on the planet are not moving at all. This fucking kid grabs a pencil. Carisi goes to stop him. He stabs Carisi in the ear with a pencil. The judge is screaming, get him out of here. Henry's screaming, I want my daddy. And Rollins is rushing to help a bleeding Carisi. It's chaos, like truly. At the hospital now, Carisi's being discharged. Henry apparently just missed puncturing his eardrum. The judge remanded Henry. He'll be medicated until he's deemed competent. Amanda's like, so he gets what he wants. He stabbed you to prove that he's crazy. And he's still going to stand trial, but he killed his dad, his stepmom, his five-year-old brother. If he's not crazy, then no one is. So Carisi seems like he's on the side of this guy being crazy too. It's weird Rollins, of all people, just like doesn't buy the mental health part of it, but she's also all about getting into the heads of these psychos and finding out what's wrong, like what's up with them. So then cut to Rollins marching into a cell to talk to Henry, who is drugged up, eyes are open, but he's like totally catatonic. She says, I know you can hear me. And when I told you I didn't want you to die, I lied. If you ever get out of here, if you go after Carisi or anyone in my family, it will be your last day on earth. I'll kill you myself. And he doesn't respond at all. But as she leaves, he gets that sick little half smile that he had at the beginning. And that's Dick Wolf, baby. But also this guy would never get out again. You never know. Maybe that's what she's fighting against. Maybe she's like, if he goes to a mental health facility, there's a chance in 30 years he'll get out again. And when he's like 48 and he'll still kill. But I just feel like he would be like remanded for the rest of his life. Like, I don't think that. I'm more having an issue because I've watched every episode of And Just Like That and I cannot place this woman or this character Ainsley. Like, I can't. Yeah. I see she's in a few. I keep looking at the photos and I just do not know. I don't know who she is. (laughs) I can't figure it out. I'm going to watch the episodes again because it's killing me. It's killing me. So stay tuned for that. Yeah. Lock him up. Lock him up. Lock him up. But I don't know anything about the case this is based on. So looking forward to your rendition. But before we get to the crime, Lisa, I just want to remind everybody that we are going on tour. We've We've already- We've been on tour. We're going on tour. We're in the middle of the the tour. Of this episode, we're in the middle of the tour. I am not exactly sure- uh, where we are when this episode comes out, but I believe it will be the October range. Buffalo, New Haven, Burlington, Cleveland, Boston. Boston, we need your asses. If you live in Rhode Island, if you live anywhere remotely close to Boston, please drive in and come see us. We got to fill the Wilbur at least to 
what do you say? Half, three quarter capacity? No, it's so it big. Packed. I want it full. Well, let's, okay. Toronto, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Salt Lake City, Chicago, Park West. That means a lot to me. And then we'll be back in Madison, Minneapolis. We're going to Milwaukee, St. Louis, Sacramento, New York, and Philly. So yeah. everywhere. But Chicago Come will be exciting. It's part of a festival. Yeah. And the New York show is selling up pretty quickly. So grab your tickets to that. Sacramento, you were like one of the littest shows we ever did. So if every single one of you is not back, I don't know, I'm gonna have to start knocking on doors. Um, <laughs> but I'm very excited. Chicago too. We need you guys to come out. Chicago, this is gonna be our only show in Chicago for the rest of the year. So all of our Rosemont gals that came out last year, all of our uh, people that have come out to other venues, please come see us there. Cause that's a big venue too, right, Lisa? Oh, Park West is cool. I've seen some bands there. We got to fill that baby up too. My sister puked in a garbage can in that lobby in front oh of me. Oh my God. Remember when I puked in a garbage can? We went to that um like rave party. All I right. sure do. <laughs> okay. Oh, stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned for crime. Listen to our ads. We'll see you in a few seconds. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. So um, this episode is based on the Willie Bosket case. And I want to say we've researched so many crimes for this podcast. This was the most hard for me to organize because this person has committed so many crimes. Oh my God. It was, and they're all kind of overlapping. So I would be putting it in the order and then I'm like, wait, did he do this to this, this person or this person or that? Like, it truly was so confusing because there are so many crimes and sentences and overlapping things. So, you know, I did my best, but truly I bet I fucked up here because I kept switching and being like, wait, did he puncture this one's lung or did he gash this one's forehead? Because yeah. they both aren't like, it was so many crimes, so many articles. Um, but I did get lucky because this all happened in New York. And so there's a lot of great um, news and publications there. So Willie Bosket, he is a self-proclaimed monster. He's a monster, baby. Uh, Bosket once admitted to committing more than 2,000 crimes between the ages of nine and 15, including 25 stabbings. Jesus. And yes, that is nine. I said nine. 
And um, you know when there's legislation and laws that happen after you, as an example, you know you're bad. <laughs> um, he once said that he killed for, in quote, for the experience. Um, he was a child growing up in Harlem, and as early as second grade, he was trouble, trouble. Um, did that even sound like Taylor Swift? No, not at all. Okay, so... <laughs> Um, like, it, as a small, small child, he threw a typewriter out of a third-story window and missed a teacher by, like, not a lot of space. And, you know, of course, classic questions arise about this kind of person. Did the courts and juvenile authorities help create the monster? That's what, of course, he believes. Or did his rage stem from his upbringing on West 114th Street in Harlem? Or another one of his claims is that he was destined to follow the path of a father he never met who was also a criminal. But also, what? I was just going to say, that's the kind of thing that always gets live. Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And of course, in the classic sense of like criminals, oftentimes he was abused. He was sexually abused by his grandfather. Um, So at age nine, he was put in his first reform school. And since then, he's only been free a total of 18 months in his life. And that's not consecutively. That is included with, like, escapes and different parole or, like, getting let out. But he's only been in the free world a total of 18 months in his whole life past the age of nine. That's so, so fucked up. It is. So when he went in at nine, he says, um, you know, like, he was just a bad kid, but he left with all the lessons of how to commit crimes. So he was at the Brookwood Center for Boys from 1974 to 1977. Um, and it is a maximum security institution. And he was in there with murderers, rapists, and armed robbers. And Sylvia Honig is a social worker. Um, and she first worked with him at age 12 and said that he was a terror. Like he attacked the staff with clubs, smashed windows, stole shit, sodomized other inmates, escaped in state vehicles. And then it's hard to blame the facility when you are doing this. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like you learned all this and you're doing it on the way out. You have no fear of any authority. You're like stealing vehicles and catching fire and then raping your other inmates. So, I don't know. Um... He was found to be very precocious and empathetic, though, which I have a hard time believing. But that is, I guess, what the staff yeah. found. They said that he was warm and did have potential, but he was there for stabbing people. So I, I don't understand where the empathy comes out of. And he's quoted in the New York Times that he stabbed people, because, in quotes, because they made me mad. So mm. I don't know. Honig says he was um, hardly ever disciplined and that caused him to get more and more um, like, you know, aggressive. In her diaries, it's recorded how Willie was allowed to go into town with female staff members and get drunk, how he was permitted not to attend class. And then, um, you know, all the serious things I mentioned earlier, but also he like hit another boy with a poker in the boy's eye. And then much chiller, stealing cigarettes and then selling them, which does seem like normal, like, uh, jail <laughs> activities. But also, he drove a truck into a social worker. So, that is what he was up to. Uh, but this actually reminded me. So, I have, like, a little joke about jail that I do in my set. And in Sacramento, this dude was like, oh, I've been to prison. And he was in prison for a long time. And he was telling us, the whole audience, that he would take bottles of Listerine for commissary, 
pour it out and then make sweet and sour sauce and sell teriyaki and sweet and sour sauce throughout the prison. And that's how he made money. And we were all so intrigued. And then someone from the back had also been to prison. So then she started yelling out, like, how'd you make it? Or like asking questions that you would only know from someone on the inside. And then he admitted, finally, he goes, I also sold meth. <laughs> so, so, so your money just wasn't just from the sauces. And then we took a photo after the show and we got into a prison pose and it is so hard. Like it's going to be my workout is how to like hold a prison pose. What's the it, prison pose? It's like one leg down. It's kind of like a boy band pose. It's like one leg down on your knee and one standing, but the knee never hits the floor. And then you, you hold your arm out and then you hold hands in the middle. But he spoke Russian and we bonded. And then oh my God, another dude, came up to me and said, oh, I spent this many years in prison. That guy doesn't know shit. And then there was another girl who was like, I didn't like prison like this guy. I was there for years. And I was like, I did not, I've only seen Sacramento. Lady Bird. Hell yeah. I know. It is like, Sacramento is hard as fuck. And I was, you know, I said this early, like in the last episode, but I, everyone told me like not to go outside and not to go for walks because people pop out of nowhere. And I was like, okay. I mean, I've lived in giant cities, but... I'm going to listen to the people that live here and not walk if they tell me not to walk in a certain area. Yeah. And then um, someone from the club was driving me home at night and I saw people pop out of bushes and stuff. Like they truly do come out of anywhere. Popables. No way. Popples. Yeah. Um, wait, that's actually so genius of that guy because prison food's so gross that I bet everybody just wanted sweet and sour sauce to like slather it on their food and make it like, you know, sweet and sour sauce. You can kind of eat anything with that stuff all over it. Yeah, he said he worked in the kitchen, so he was able to, like, take ingredients and do it. But there's um, TikToks of people in jail doing TikToks of, like, the food that they should try. And they go, that's bussin'. And it's, like, cheesy ramen sandwiches and, like, all the ingredients. And I watch them make prison food um, on these, wow. like— uh, It's a category of the internet. So, I don't know. That was a little aside, and I apologize. And we are back to um, this guy— um, last I left off, he drove a truck into a social worker. Okay. And that's the thing. It's like, wait, so he's in there and he's blaming the authorities in this place and we learned to be bad. But then also it seemed like this, there weren't any rules for him and he was able to do what he wanted. And so I'm imagining this, like the boy from the episode, what's the episode with fucking... Oh, trials. When, they, when, he, when he drives yeah. the car... Yeah, but is that the Elizabeth I Banks one or the Julie Bowen one? It's I always fuck Bowen. it up. Okay. It's the Julie Bowen. <laughs> they're all, I hate I hate vegetables. They're just they're gross. Yeah. I want candy. <laughs> I'm with you, kid. <laughs> so it's just, it's really wild. So the, he got released in 1977. And so he was 14 when released. So all of this that I just said was before he was 14 years of age. Oh my God. So they sent him off to a group home in Brooklyn. He got a job as a maintenance worker. And the supervisor at Brookwood told Honig, that boy's going to kill somebody one of these days. And it's like, duh. Yeah. So he goes to Harlem. And then him and his cousin, they, they just roam the subways looking for drunks to rob. So March 19th, 1978, he shot and killed um, one person in the subway system with a 22 caliber pistol. And then eight days later, he shot and killed another person. And then he got only five years. Because that was the max at the time. So because he was underage, even though he shot and killed two people in cold blood, he only got five years. 
Jesus. So June 1978, he went in to serve his time in custody and everyone flipped the fuck out. So that led the governor at the time, Hugh Carey, to win passage of a new law, letting juvenile offenders be tried as adults for murder. So now defendants can be as young as 13 and the sentence can range from seven years to life. And so New York toughened its juvenile criminal laws because of this guy. And it's known as the Willie Bosket Law, a.k.a. the Juvenile Offender Law. And it remains one of the toughest in the nation. And that's from a 1995 LA Times article. It went into effect in 1978. And even as, like, it still stands as of 2020 and stuff. Like, it's there. You will be tried as an adult if you are a murderer, a teen murderer. And that Um, was, 78 was, like, when the subway was, like, at the height of being, like, Thunderdome. Like, the subway at that time, I think, was really, really fucked up. Yeah, Colin Quinn and his show, uh, is it New York Stories? or The book uh, that accompanies it is The Coloring Book, and it's incredible. But he said, yeah, it's wild to see people now on iPhones and iPads in in there. He's like, I would have to hide my Metro card in my sock. Yeah. You know, like you couldn't have anything. My parents lived in the city at that time and they never took the subway. And so when I moved to the city, you know, 25 years later, they were like, you're not taking the subway, are you? And I was like, just seven times a day. Like I just take it everywhere I go every day. My mom couldn't believe it, but it was like, she just had moved to the suburbs and didn't really realize that it had gotten cleaned up, you know? Yeah. But yeah, you know, you're bad when laws are made for you. So He was at the Goshen Youth Facility and this dude bashed two guards in the head with a mop handle. And then he also temporarily escaped. Honig said his letters became more and more angry, like they kept in touch. And um, he realized and said he mentally prepared himself that he's going to be in prison for the rest of his life. Um, But December 1983, a few days before his 21st birthday, he was released. And then March 19th, 1984, he was um, arrested for attempted robbery, Um, but he kept causing problems in prison. So his original charge when he entered in 1984 was a sentence of three and a half to seven years where he mugged a half-blind 72-year-old man in Harlem. But because of all of his additional crimes that he committed in prison, it's now like 53 to life. So he went in, but even that mugging, that seems like such a low sentence for a repeat offender. Yeah. But um, again, even as like a a young adult, he set fire to his cells multiple times. He would attack the guards that would come in to put out the fires. And he also didn't look dangerous. They said, you know, he was 5'9", 150 pounds, and he's handsome, dimpled face is what they say. And I can confirm he is hot. I did find one photo of him. He is sexy. And hopefully we'll get the rights to that photo to put in our Instagram and you can go look <laughs> at him or not. But he, w- I would say he's probably one of the top cutest criminals we have covered, um, 100%. And he had a genius IQ. And at times, like, uh, I think it was the LA Times, but one of the articles I was reading compared him to Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. And I had to include that because Kara, of course, loves Silence of the Lambs. Yes. And they also compared him, like, to the Silence of the Lambs movies because of the padlocking devices they used to restrain him. They really had to restrain the fuck out of this guy because he kept attacking guards and starting fires and beating the shit out of people and using weapons and escaping. Like, and Honig eventually stopped visiting him. Um, The old social worker, she said she just couldn't because he was living like an animal and the more they treat him like a monster, the more monstrous he becomes. And, I, you know, I'm going to take a little aside to, man- to say that it's also wild how close to his father, his actions are. His father legit went into the same reform school at age nine as well. 
So they both were in the same like locked up place at nine. They both stopped schooling in the third grade. When Boskett's mother was pregnant with him, his father was arrested for a double murder at age 20, killing two people in a Milwaukee pawn shop in 1962. And then the dad escaped, robbed a bank, and was on the FBI most wanted list, and then finally locked up in Kansas. But And while in Kansas, he ended up graduating from like the program with it you know, with the University of, like, with a university with straight A's, and he got elected to be a Phi Beta Kappa, which is, it's, Phi Beta you know. Kappa is like a national honor society. That's crazy. Yeah, so he got into that, and then he was released in 1983, which seems wilder, and then got a job at an aerospace company, and now back to a twist, and then immediately he was charged with molesting his girlfriend's daughter. But then the girlfriend helped him escape smuggled him a revolver, and there was a police shootout, and his final act came March 7th, 1985, when he used his two last bullets to kill himself and his girlfriend. Oh, my God. And now I have an even wilder The world is so fucked His grandfather was also a criminal who was arrested in 1942 for armed robbery and also went to the same reform school for boys. So it's three generations. It's a cycle. Yeah. And when Willie was growing up and whenever he asked about his father, his mother and grandmother would just say, he's a bad man and you're just like him. And so, yeah, he never met his father because he was in prison for the double murder at the time Willie was born. And that's so fucked. Yeah, like you've just been told you're bad. You're going to be bad. Yeah, this is like so complicated, so sad, so vicious. I I can't even, I don't even know the right words to fully dissect all this. So, you know, back to Willie while he's in custody, he stabbed a prison guard um, and then was facing 25 to life for the attack, which happened when he was being interviewed by a journalist who's helping him write his autobiography. And he's 26. He's already serving this like 25, 20 years to life, uh, you know, sentence for assault and arson, which have nothing to do while he's there already. These Like, it's just wild. And um, so he grabbed the shoulder of this guard, spun him around, and then stabbed him in the chest. And then he jumped on a table and said, surround me, surround me. But nobody surrounded him and all the other inmates just backed away and left. Oh, no. So he tried to create some kind of... Like a riot. (laughs) And everyone's like, we hate you. Like, you're not even... Like, yeah. So he's in... He's New York State's most violent inmate. Um, And he has a special cell that's stripped of everything. No light fixtures because um, he has swallowed those in the past. So he can't have lights. The guards aren't even allowed to speak to him. And there's a dark quote coming up next. That is, the only noise Willie Boskett is going to hear is the sound of his toilet flushing. And this was said to the New York Times by Thomas A. Coughlin, 3D, the commissioner of the Department of Correctional Services at the time. And he at one point tried to challenge some of the restraints and shackles in court as cruel and unusual punishment, but he lost that case and appeal because... You're too wild. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You can't stab guards and think they're going to just keep you in the, ma- you know, like they're not going to continuously risk themselves. But he was fighting for them to stop this one restraint because they chain him to his cell door each time he's permitted out. So from the ins- from the outside in, he like puts his, you know, arms and legs through and they shackle him to the door and then they open the door and unshackle him and shackle him again. 
because they couldn't Damn. trust him at all. And um, I understand why he feels dehumanized by this, but I also understand the guards are being, like, they're getting their lungs punctured, you know? Yeah. Um, and he in quote, he has a quote, um, Willie Boskett, where he said, I laugh at this system because there ain't a damn thing it can do to me except to deal with the monster it has, cre- it has created. And he said this in court when he acted as his own lawyer in an assault case. So he acted as his, as his own lawyer a lot. He was always representing himself. So in his opening statement, when he stabbed the guard, Earl Porter, he was like, the only thing I regret is that I didn't kill him. And he said that to the jury. Um, and that's the punctured lung. And then also there was another attack where one time he was being led from his cell to the exercise yard. And there was a quote um, to the Times, the Correctional Services Department, James B. Flato said, Mr. Boskett removed a restraining chain from his waist to hit the guard. He then ran into his cell and closed the door. And the guard has a six-inch head laceration. He is six years old. Um, he's incarcerated at the Wendy Correctional Facility. I wonder if you say it like that. W-E-N-D-E. We've talked about that facility before. I feel like we knew somebody else that's um, there. Yeah, I, I wonder. wonder. Are you searching in our drive? I'm like checking. Let's see who else is there. Um, Mark David Chapman, the man who murdered John Lennon, was transferred there in 2012. Harvey Weinstein. Whoa. After he was convicted, he was returned. Oh, wait, that's wrong. Wait, it says no, it has him under notable inmates for Wendy. So I don't know. He was there for some point. Yeah. So he's still there. And one time he said, um, end quote, I'll haunt this damn system. He has a quote where he said uh, that he's going to throw balls of fire back into the devil's face. So he's definitely ready for hell. Um, if you want to know more about him, there is a book called All God's Children the Bosket Family, and the American Tradition of Violence. And it's written by Fox Butterfield. And it's about the root causes of the system of violence from slavery in the South to the dissolution in Harlem. So, you know, he is Black, his family is Black, and there's just like a long line of Bosket family, like, you know, like I said, it's three generations. And so this book kind of tracks from slavery, where the white baskets ended up, like how this happened and yeah. um, how it all ended up in Harlem and this like genealogy of crime. I chose not to kind of focus on this. Um, you can obviously check the book. I felt strange in my own personal feelings to tie a lineage back. I feel it like takes away from personal responsibility in a way I felt uncomfortable with. But obviously I believe in generational trauma. Yeah, and because how it's things like, this happen and how you're raised. Fucking, this guy was a fucking genius. If one person had just helped him, taken an interest in him, like, you know, helped him focus his attention towards something other than violence and crime and telling him that he was a piece of shit, I wonder how things might have turned out differently, but. A hundred percent, um, yeah, it, it's, it, I tried reading a lot of the stuff from this book. It was, I would say over my head. Like I was not able to like fully connect it. And in the show notes, the, the LA Times article really touched on this book and the lineage of and just the history of crime and violence that he was raised in. Um, and so there's definitely more to explore with that. Yeah. I just... 
Yeah, but I had no idea. Criminal this is, in New York. Yeah, and this is the guy where juvenile. I mean, that's like we've sort of debated that in many SVU episodes, like trying kids as adults, and like the episode Juvenile, where one kid is going to get charged even though he didn't do the majority of it because he's fourteen versus thirteen, you know, or whatever the little arbitrary cutoff lines of age are. But um, that's crazy. This guy is like who put that legislature legislature out there. But um, thank you for telling us all that. Let's roll right into our post-mortem, baby. Wow. So that concludes the two-part arc that you've all been clamoring for about a psychotic eight-year-old that becomes a psychotic 18-year-old. Um, or 10-year-old to 18-year-old. Um, I don't Fuck know. Fuck that dad. He deserves to die. And I don't feel bad for him. I just feel bad for his son and wife that had to die because of yeah, his dumbness. Yeah, because of his inability to look at the truth or take in any information about his son's condition. What? It's really fucked up. There's really nothing to say. I hate that dad. Obviously, he shouldn't have been let out. That the psychiatric place should be held responsible. He sh- Like, what the fuck? I know because it's like everybody, I I don't know. I guess it's like we just place so much stock in someone being a child, whereas it's like Ted Bundy was charming. The fucking Kemp, Ed Kemper was funny, was was charming. These guys can be charming. Like you can fool people. Like it's just, it's wild how the doctor was like, no one's ever fooled me and a whole staff before. It's like, this is the best psychopath ever. We've met the biggest, like he's the best one. Like, I don't know. I feel like there had to have been signs. Even in the courtroom when he gives that little like dead-eyed half smile. I just tried to do it and I truly looked like I was um, they needed going through a, a stroke. Trey McDougal to be there f- to testify, but he's probably in prison for murder. <laughs> he's, in, he's in prison for murdering another psychopath. He t- yeah. he did the opposite of what this dad did. He took matters into his own fucking hands <laughs> and yeah. saved the world from a psych a tiny psycho. Yeah, I don't even remember. What, oh, that a conscience is that episode. If you want to check that out. Yes, conscience. Hard to spell. Easy to watch. Great video. Great, <laughs> great episode. <laughs> um. Great episode of television, sad crime. But listen, you can't keep attacking guards. You will be in a silent room with no friends. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I do think it's cool too that the show like got him back and was able to like do kind of like a eight years later type of episode. That's like a neat thing that you don't see in television a lot. So it's a cool cool thing, but- And I love that Amanda Rollins, she'll flirt with a child, with a teen, with a grown person. She'll flirt. Oh yeah. A psychopath, personality disorder. I mean, she does not care. She will flirt with you. Like you are getting a swipe from Amanda Rollins for sure. And I mean, it was a stupid move, but I thought it was cool they did a scene in a fun house. I thought it was a cool- Cinematically, yeah. I liked the funhouse scene. It's honestly making me really bummed now that the stri- we're not going to get new episodes. I know. I oh know. God, and I'm Cara. actually... What? The whole time at the beach, I kept thinking of the SVU episode about the lifeguard. <laughs> about the powerful lifeguard. You mean New York's most powerful lifeguard? <laughs> <laughs> but it was so funny. So then our friends came later to the beach and one of them's like, wow, it looks so calm and nice. And I was like, Someone was saved a half hour ago. Like, what are you talking about? The, the waves are insane. I've never been dragged down like this in my life. I was fully dragged and spun under the waves multiple times, hitting the sand. Like, it was nuts out there. But I had my goggles, thank you to my father. So I was ready for it. But 
It was not. You were wearing goggles at the beach? Of course I was. I don't think I've ever seen that. Oh, why would I want the salt water splashing into my sensitive eyes when I you can wouldn't. get goggles? I guess because like when I go to the beach, like when I go to the ocean, I kind of just like wade in and maybe I'll dunk my head under, but I'm not like swimming the way I'm swimming at a pool as much. No, I'm I trying to jump in those waves. I'm trying to I ride know, the waves, babe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do I know your 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 boogie board? I'm the Sean wife <laughs> of the Rockaways. You are the Sean White of the Rockaways. I love that. But I just, that's funny. Like, Write me and tell me if you consider goggles to be a beach thing or a pool thing or both. I could. I brought them to the pool too, and my friend laughed in my face, but uh, (laughs) because that was chic. That was more chic. It was like a sexy hotel, no children allowed. You're also Uh, basically talking right into a plot line from the episode of this from this episode of SVU. You were basically almost dragged under like that little kid who died at the beach while the psycho just watched. Oh my god! Yeah. Did you let the ocean take what it wanted, and then it just spit you back out? Kind of because I'm a good, knock on wood. I'm a I'm a good swimmer. Yeah, and yeah. I knew. Yeah, I knew the lifeguards were on. It, it was fine. what happened was so our friends. There's two Julias. They were <laughs> they were at the place where they were riding the waves, and that's where I wanted to get. But anytime I tried to get to them to ride the it waves, was, I was smushed back and thrown so far. So it was like a 45 minute excursion to try to get to them and just being. Beaten up, my tits falling out. People <laughs> lost bottoms. Goggles askew. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I don't go into the ocean without goggles. And you know what? It's crazy that I'm even, I hate salt water in my eyes. Like I hate it. So I. that's why I'm kind of like, when I go in, I'm just more of like a waiter in the ocean. And I'm not like, I don't, I never, as a kid, I never wore goggles in the ocean. Well, that's because your dad didn't steal things from the pool um, lost and found. <sighs> You know, I wish. I can only wish. <laughs> yeah, so I have uh, lots of goggles because my dad is a thief. Wait, and we didn't even get to this, but you did a big surprise for your parents. You went, you surprised them on your birthday. I sure did. It really worked out great. If uh, you don't watch Lisa's, if you don't follow Glitter Cheese on Instagram, what I don't know what you're doing with your life, but you can see a video of it there of her surprising her parents and it's very sweet. And I'm on TikTok. I'm trying to get viral. I'm trying to get famous on TikTok. And I'm, you know, it's embarrassing to say out loud, but it is the truth. Yeah, there you have it. I'll use my parents. Yeah, (laughs) born psychopath. Get ready for segments, guys. Get ready because I am. I'm trying to get famous on TikTok. I'm watching all these other people. I'm like, I think I'm funnier than these guys. Of course, I'm watching a woman shake a salad in the front seat of her car on a lunch break. I'm watching a woman eat lunch. TikTok is so weird. What what goes viral? Like this one girl, Bella Porch, is. Famous, famous on TikTok. And literally her first video is like from her just like wiggling her nose and crossing her eyes to a song. And she's <laughs> and she's hot, you know? Like, that's it. It's like wild. And now she's literally like a millionaire and she has songs and like a huge career. It's Get crazy. ready, guys. Get ready, guys. That's what I'm doing. I, I'm doing... You don't think I used... There, you don't think there's 25 segments coming out of my parents' home? You're wrong. <laughs> Watch out, guys. I'm I'm heading for TikTok stardom. 
No, I was getting really dragged down. It was, but also what's nice is you don't want to lose your sunglasses in the ocean, you know, because you could get hit by a wave, but you get the sun protection too with the goggles. Like it's a little dimmer, you know? Yeah, because I have had my sunglasses fly off. I think that's what I do is I wear sunglasses because I figure, oh, those will stop me any errant water from splashing in my eyes. But I don't really go under that much in the ocean because of the salt water. I don't like it in my eyes. So maybe I'm a goggle girl. Maybe you've convinced me. Yeah. I got to get Rosie a new pair. The Speedos I got her keep falling off. Her hair's but, too, like, silky. <laughs> Is your hair too silky for goggles? Call <laughs> this number below. <laughs> they just keep falling down and she does, and then she, they, you have to keep them tight, but then she doesn't like that they're tight and they're making a crease around her eyes. Uh, you know, you can't win. Let's get into our, do you have any final thoughts, Jerry Springer? Do I have final thoughts on the beach or, um, or about anything psychopath children, psychopath children being, <laughs> being locked up forever? Who um, who can who can know? Um, no, I definitely no. think we have to be careful about kids we brand as psychopaths because, like you know, my son will giggle and be having a great time and then just slash me with his nails in the face. I don't think he's a psychopath. You know, people tell me that's age appropriate, so we should just be careful who we do decide to uh, call a psycho. Even though I've met many children that are riding the line, baby, but they have to take the test. But this takes oh, us right into our- No, oh, yeah. the thing with my parents' surprise, this is what I wanted to say. Oh, yeah. I think visiting family, three days is perfect. An event with three days, that's the secret number. You come in, yeah. they're surprised. They can't believe they're seeing you. We have a great dinner. We play some game. I, you know, I had such fun times with my sister. Like it is. And then you leave while they're still wanting more. Yeah. Day two is like a fun first full day, solid. By day three, you're like, I'm getting a little sick of it. And then you're out. Yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. And uh, our poor cat is so old now, though. Her, She can't retract her claws anymore. Oh, no. Like, so they're just, just out? So, they're just out. And then they keep getting stuck in blankets. And then she like howls and you have to unhook her. It's sad. Poor Manya. Yeah. Um, All right, go into this. Go. Let's go. go. Okay, so this week, you guys know I'm like a little bit obsessed with psychopaths. And for this week's What Would Sister Peg Do, which is our weekly segment where we direct you towards a blog post, a podcast, an organization. Uh, In this case, we're going to direct you towards a book. um, that Just something to give you a little bit more knowledge about what we talked about in today's episode. And I read a book that I really enjoyed called The Psychopath Test, A Journey Through the Madness Industry by John Ronson. John Ronson's written a bunch of books that I loved. Also another book called So You've Been Publicly Shamed. He's, he almost does like, it's like, it's more like sociological. I feel like the way he, he writes books. It's not like, I wouldn't, this is like a book about psychopathy that I think is more accessible to those of us that are not scholars. And like, it's not an, uh, a text that you're going to read from a college professor. And so um, obviously there's more digging to do if you really want to learn about this kind of thing. But I think for like a, an overview, The Psychopath Test was a very interesting book. And I found it super readable as like a layman and a non-scholar and a non, like, you know, psychology student. Um, So he interviews purported psychopaths as well as psychologists and psychiatrists who study them. It spends a lot of time with Robert D. Hare, the author of the Hare Psychopathy Checklist that I mentioned in um, the first episode, Born Psychopath. Um, But overall, it's an examination of the mental health industry at large, which I know many of our listeners and we are interested in. So uh, we will have a link to that in our show notes, in our... um, on our stories uh, the day that the show uh, releases, this episode releases, and all of our What Would Sister Peg do's are saved in highlights called WWSPD on our Instagram page. 
Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. And next week, we will be covering Futility. That's season four, episode 22. So please join us. You know, throw us some five stars. Send us a nice (laughs) message. Whatever, you know, whatever. We're obsessed with all of you. See us on the road. And next week, Futility. Bye, guys. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.